0: Easter Sunday is a wonderful time of the year. I I want us to really think about that phrase, Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday. Why is Easter important to you? Why is Easter important to you? I don't know if you know this or not, but Easter Sunday is one of the most popular days for individuals to attend some kind of church service. It's even more attended than Christmas. More people are in church today than throughout any other time of the year. And so I ask the question, why do you celebrate this day? Not in a derogatory way, but in an introspective way. Why do you celebrate Easter? Maybe it's just because you've been part of a church Maybe your whole life you've been part of a church, maybe like I was when I grew up. And that church put an emphasis on Easter, so you celebrate Easter also. Maybe you went to the store yesterday and you saw all kinds of people buying all kinds of things for today. And you got in the bandwagon and you started to do the same things. And so that's why you celebrate. Maybe you just like to own new clothing on Easter Day, and so you celebrate Easter because it's a great day to go buy something fresh. I don't know why a whole lot of people pick this day to be the only day they decide to attend a church service. I don't know that. But I do know that there's one reason that's preeminent as to why we celebrate this day and it has nothing to do with earthly things. In fact, if it were not for... This day, if it were not for Resurrection Day or Easter, there's nothing on earth that would truly matter at all. Friends wouldn't matter, family wouldn't matter, even church wouldn't matter if it were not for Easter. Because Easter has everything to do with what is living and not with what is dead. Everything of the world has everything to do with what is dead, what is spiritually dead. But Easter is all about living. In this church just a few Sundays ago, we came together and we reflected on death. We reflected on the death of Jesus Christ in our communion service. We talked about it even a little bit this morning in our earlier service. Communion was that celebration of remembrance. A remembrance of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, in the place of sinners, Jesus dying in our place. And now we come to Easter morning, and each of us must know that if it was not for Easter morning, that death that we memorialized a few Sundays ago would have no meaning at all, because Easter is all about the resurrection. It's a celebration of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is a fact. It is not a myth. It is not a story. It is not a fable. It is a fact that happened 2,000 years ago. And we could spend a lot of time this morning going through all the details about the facts of the resurrection in order to show the insurmountable reality and proof that it is a fact, but I don't want to do that. I want us to just have that fact rest upon our minds that it is in fact a fact and that one day all men will be resurrected. And I trust we understand that resurrection is not just for those who know Christ by faith. The Bible tells us that there's coming day when all humanity will rise again. The those who have faith in Jesus Christ will rise unto eternal life with God and others who do not know Christ will be separated from God in everlasting destruction. So for those who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, for those who have not repented of their sins, who have not turned from their life of sin and rebellion against God, those who have not believed by faith in Christ alone for their salvation, they will be raised to eternal destruction. However, those who have confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior have turned from their sin and their rebellion against God, have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says they will be saved unto eternal life. This is what Paul said in Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess, that is, confession is agreeing with God. If you, confess, if you agree with God's assessment and what he has said concerning his son. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, as master, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Because with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And right there in those two verses is the resurrection. It is through the resurrection that there is real life and real hope for all of life. Just to remind us of the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed it in vain." Because I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And He was buried and He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. So, if Christ is preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Because if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not risen. And if Christ has not risen, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. And we are found to be false witnesses of God because we have testified that God raised up Christ from the dead. Whom He did not raise if in fact the dead are not ri- did not rise. Because if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And also all of those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So if it's only in this life that we hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiful. So You can see that the resurrection is the basis for any person's identification with Christ. That is the basis. In other words, if it were not for the resurrection, those who believe upon Jesus Christ, we who believe upon Jesus Christ are still people in the world without God, without hope. But, because of Easter, we have hope. Listen again to the words of Paul to the people of Colossae the book of Colossians, he said in chapter 2, verses 9-13, through For in Him, that is in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him, who is the head of all uh, principality and power. In Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which... You also were raised with Him through the faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He, that is God, has made you alive together with Him. So if you're sitting here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then the resurrection should be the motivation in your life for godly living. It should be the resurrection that... That is the, the, the gasoline in your engine as a Christian to do what God asks. This is what Paul told the people in Galatia. In Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ as I died with Him. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered Himself up for me. You see, there's resurrection life based upon the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the birth of Christ was, yes, a historical event. It happened. It's a fact. And He had to come His death on the cross was the expression of God's love beyond all measure. There is no greater love than the love of God by sending Christ on the cross to die. But without the resurrection, if it was just death, it would be meaningless. And so the resurrection came. And without the resurrection, our lives and the gospel message that we tell people about Jesus Christ has no value at all. Those in the early church knew this. They knew that the resurrection was the very core of the gospel, the very core of the good news that we tell people. In fact, if you do a quick survey in the Bible, you find the word resurrection is used only 43 times. 43 times. 31,000 verses in the Bible, and the word resurrection is only used 43 times. And of those times, all of them are in the New Testament. And 25% of those times in the New Testament where resurrection is used, it appears in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is all about the beginning of the church. Each time the resurrection is mentioned in, in Acts, it's mentioned either in connection with the criteria for apostleship. In other words, you're not an apostle unless you've seen clearly the resurrected Christ. And there was only 12 of those men. Or it's mentioned as the hope of the Old Testament saints. In other words, the Old Testament saints looked forward to the resurrection. Or it's the core of the gospel. And so you can conclude that it was the doctrine of the resurrection that was the motivating factor in the first century church for their living and for their believing. It was the doctrine of the resurrection that was the motivating factor in the lives of those who fought throughout the ages in the Old Testament And it's the doctrine of the resurrection that should motivate us today. It should be the unfading glory of our hope. So it's in light of that, it's in light of the resurrection reality, that I want us to just hone in on on four truths concerning the doctrine of the resurrection that ought to motivate us to live godly lives because we believe in Jesus Christ. So turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Paul clearly writing to a church and a people who had faith in Jesus Christ. They had a faith, they had a love, they had a hope, it says in chapter 1. They believed in Jesus Christ. They believed that they were delivered from the domain of darkness, that is the domain of sin, into the domain of God's dear Son, Jesus Christ, the kingdom of light. He gave them redemption and forgiveness of sins, chapter uh, 1, verse 14 says. God, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. We see God in Jesus Christ because He is God. He is the creator of all things. He has reconciled us to Him. And so Paul says to them, although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, verse 21 of chapter 1, and you're engaged in evil deeds, yet He, that is God, through Christ, has now reconciled you in His fleshly body, that is, in Jesus Christ, through death, in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That's the purpose. That's why God saved you, in order to present you so that Christ would present you to God, the Father, holy, perfect, blameless, without without anything to be blamed for in your life, if, verse 23, indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. Now Paul's not saying that you believe once and you lose your salvation over time. He's saying that true believers have the reflection of this reality in their life. If you're moving away from that, it shows that you probably haven't believed it. Paul has a great struggle on their behalf. He desires that they know Christ. He desires that they live for Christ. And so he tells them these things in order to help motivate them. And so in chapter 2, in verse 20, he says, If you've died with Christ, you've died to the elementary principles of the world. Why is it then, as if you're living in the world, do you submit yourself to those worldly things, to... Decrees such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Why Why, if you know Christ, why if you believed in Christ, why if you realized you were dead to your own sin and, and you couldn't attain righteousness on your own, why is it now that you who say you believe in Christ, why are you going on living as if you're earning something on your own? Those things are destined to Perish. They have an appearance, he says in verse 23, of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and self-severe treatment of the body, but they don't have any value against fleshly indulgence. They'll do nothing to, to help your life righteously. And then he comes to verse or chapter 3 and verses 1 through 4 where I want us to kind of hone in. Because Paul says, if then you've been raised up with Christ. That's just another way of saying if you're a believer, if you're a believer, and keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth, because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So it's right there. It's right there for us in these first four verses. The motivation is the resurrection. It's in light of resurrection truth. It's in light of the fact that we are alive in Christ that Paul is imploring us as Christians with these four motivators, these four incentives, if you will. What are they? Keep seeking, keep focusing, keep remembering, keep anticipating. Keep seeking keep focusing, keep remembering, keep anticipating. These are the incentives and I just want to go through them quickly this morning for us and try to help us be motivated in our own heart as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. Keep seeking, verse 1. If you've been raised up with Christ, if you're a believer, then keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This could could easily be translated at the beginnings since you've been raised, not not necessarily if, is in other words, this idea of uh, potential, but the reality of it already have happened since you've been raised with Christ. In other words, since the resurrection of Christ is an accomplished fact, and those who have their faith in Him have spiritually entered into death and the resurrection of Christ at the very moment of salvation, then we can also say that our future resurrection is already an accomplished fact that will take place. Because we have been, in the present tense, spiritually awakened in Christ. We are spiritually alive. We can be assured of the fact of our future resurrection because we're in Christ. That's what raised up means. It means to awaken or it means to be awakened. So here's the question. Do you live in light of that reality? Do you live... In light of the fact that you are alive, since Christ is alive, you are enveloped in Christ by faith. And if that's the case, then your future resurrection is an already accomplished fact in the mind and heart of God. It cannot be changed. And therefore, the results of that reality are an ongoing reality in our present life. Paul says, Seek. Keep seeking the things above. So, is your present life preoccupied with all of the eternal realities that are yours as a believer? That's the idea. Is your present life, your present day, your present thinking filled with the realities of what you have in Christ? It should be if you understand the meaning of Easter. If you understand Resurrection Day, that should be on your mind. We're not to be preoccupied with the things of the world. We're not to be preoccupied with all the stuff that the world's doing in all their ways that they're supposedly supporting and and celebrating this day. That's a facade. It's all a kindling wood for a fire. It's the preoccupation with the world's stuff. We're not to do that. We're to have a preoccupation with the eternal. The preoccupation with what is sinless. That should govern our earthly responses. Why? Because we're resurrected. Because we're alive in Christ. We can look at the events of life. We can look at the people of life, the troubles of this world. We can see them through the eyes of Christ and we can have an eternal perspective over them. Psalm 73, verse 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So, as a Christian, since we have been raised up with Christ, we are to keep seeking the things above. Secondly, secondly, he says, set your mind, verse 2, set your mind on things above. Not on the things that are on the earth. This is keep focusing. Keep seeking. Keep focusing. This is the how of the first incentive. This is the how of keep seeking. This is how you keep seeking. You keep focusing. By continually focusing on the things above, you keep seeking the things above. That is simply to say that as Christians, we are to ponder about heavenly realities. That's to be filling our mind. That's to be occupying our mind. Our direct attention is on heavenly things. We set our minds resolutely on the things of God. If you have a compass, you pull it out of your pocket or whatever, you turn it on your phone or whatever, it immediately orients itself to the north. That's what it does. This is what it's saying. Our spiritual compass is to be immediately oriented to the things of God. So how... How does that orientation come about? How does it come about for us as Christians? Very simple, really. Here it is. You and I will never seek God if we do not know God. So there is no seeking God without knowing God. There is not knowing God without Jesus Christ. But once we know God by God's gracious gift and we believe upon Jesus Christ, we still will never seek God if we don't know God. And we will not know God if we aren't focused on God. And to do that, to focus on God, our minds must be controlled by the Word of God. You want to keep seeking the things above? Then be focused on the things that are in the Word of God. Keep focusing on the things above. What are the things above? The things in the Word of God. None of the things of the earth. Your mind has to be controlled by that. I think if we're honest, for many of us, or for some of us, for far too long, we followed after the wisdom of the world. Jesus Christ is over here, and the wisdom of the world's over here, and when things get hard, we tend to gravitate towards the things of the world. Why? Because the things of the world seem to be oh so easy. And sometimes we gravitate to the things of the world because if we gravitate to the things of the Word of God, that means something has to change in my life and I don't want it to change in my life because that means I have to be obedient and disciplined in my life and I don't want to do that. We follow the easy path. We follow after the wisdom of men. In fact, it's interesting in chapter 2, verse 8, Paul even exhorted the Colossian believers not to do that. See to it, he says, that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. You know how you're sucked away into that ship? By keeping your mind off the things of God. Our focus is to be on the Word of God and not on the things of the earth. We're not to pursue the things of the world which are passing away. So when the values of the Word of God dominate our minds, they're going to also dominate our life. They're going to dominate our action and produce in us godly living. You're not going to conquer the sin of your life any other way. You're not going to conquer it through your own efforts, through your own strength, or any other way. You're only going to conquer it by the Word of God. So because of the resurrection, we are to seek the things above, keep seeking. And we are to keep focusing. And then third. Third, he says, keep remembering. Look at verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's a remembrance. It seems rather abnormal to live in that way to the rest of the world. It's abnormal to think like that. And yet for us as Christians, this is the normal way of life. We are drawn to God by God and we believed in Christ as our Lord and Savior. And when that happened, we immediately died to sin. what he says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We've died. We've died to sin. How so? We died to the world system. We died to the prince of the power of the air who rules all of that. We died to the power of sin in our lives and we are raised to a new life in Christ. To a life that is to be lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. We know the penalty for our sin was paid on the cross. Jesus Christ paid it. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says we are now, present tense, a new creature in Christ. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. So not only have we died with Christ, but Paul tells us our life is hidden with Christ in God. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, if that's a fact, if God said it, it's a fact, we are hidden with Christ in in God, then why do we so often live as if that's not true? The word hidden means that we are kept safe. That's what it means. We are kept safe. So let me ask you another question this morning. What's the safest place in the world? What's the safest place in the world? Isn't that the place where you know nothing could ever harm you, ever? Wouldn't that be the safest place? Nothing could ever harm you, ever. The safest place in all the created realm is the place where you know that you are safe from not just humanity's evils, but you are safe from the wrath of God. And that place is only in Christ. Only in Jesus Christ. And since the true Christian is in Christ, since we are hidden with Christ in God, then we have no fear of facing God's wrath. We have no fear of eternal damnation. We now have a secure and sure hope of heaven. And we're the only people who have that. Nobody else does. Isn't what... John says in John 5, 21-24, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but He who has given all judgment to the Son, in order that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. There's a great reality there that I think many don't see. And that is this, they say they believe in God. A whole lot of people in church today saying, I believe in God, but they reject Jesus Christ. I believe in God, the Creator. He created all things. He's such a good God. Oh, He's a loving God. But they hate His Son. They say, we don't hate His Son. You don't believe Him. You don't believe what God said concerning His Son. And the Scriptures clearly say if you don't honor the Son, then you're certainly not honoring the Father who sent Him. So don't say you love God if you don't love Jesus Christ. It's not true. You say those are pretty harsh words. Those are not my words. Those are God's. God said, if you say you love me, but don't love my son, don't tell me you love me because you don't love me, you don't love my son. And therefore, you don't have eternal life. But those who love the son love the father. And the father says, those who love the son have eternal life. That means that our salvation cannot be lost. It is secure in Christ. Why? Because he's alive. He's alive. You see, the reason for this day, the reason for Easter, is the anchor of the soul, Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans eight one says. Peter says this way and. First Peter chapter one, verses three and five, three through five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, won't fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The hope is the resurrection. The hope is because Christ is alive, we have that hope. We are protected in Christ. In other words, it's the continual remembrance of the resurrection that motivates us to pure living right now. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be, We know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we'll see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. You see the motivation? Everyone who has their hope fixed on Jesus Christ, hidden with Christ in God, drives to live godly because of Christ. You see, it's the basis for our life. Living with our eyes fixed on the one who makes Easter Easter. Nothing can remove us from the love of God. And so since we experientially know that we've been raised up with Christ, and that we that He's alive today, that He's seated at the right hand of God the Father in the heavenly realms. Awaiting that day of return, then we can live with full assurance and the hope of no condemnation because we are hidden with Christ. And so Paul, in light of that, gives a last incentive. The last incentive that flows out of the resurrection. He says, keep anticipating. Keep anticipating, verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Don't miss that point, when Christ who is our life. Without Christ, there is no life. Christ is our life. What a beautiful truth. When Christ is once again revealed to the world through His coming again. Why is He going to come again? Because He was dead, but He is alive. Paul says, we're going to be revealed with Him. It means this earth is not our home. For the children of God, we're just on a mere journey. We're sojourners passing through temporarily on our way to our permanent home. And so we have to keep anticipating. Anticipating the time when Christ will return and he'll be revealed to the world again and we will be revealed with him. You ever think, why didn't God tell us when Christ's returning? I'll tell you why, because God knows our sinfulness knows our sinfulness better than we do, we'd sit back and wait for the day. We'd go, ah, oh, I got time. I got time. That's why God said, today's the day of salvation. We must be anticipating the time when Christ will return and He'll be revealed again. And so we must anticipate His imminent return. 1 John 2, And now little children abide in Him so that when He appears... We may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. So we anticipate his imminent return. He's coming because he's alive. God said he's going to return. And we also anticipate the crown of righteousness to come. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7 and 8. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course, Paul said, I've kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Anticipate. Anticipate the return of Christ. So as Christians, we can live continually seeking the things above. Because we continually focus on the things above in the Word of God. Because we are continually reminded that our life is not of this world. Rather, we have died to sin with Christ. We've been raised to life through His resurrection. And our life is hidden, safe with Christ in God. Therefore, we can have a hope for the future. And we can anxiously anxiously anticipate Christ's imminent return. So I don't know why you celebrate Easter, but that's why I do. That's why we should, as Christians, celebrate Easter. Because it was on that quiet Sunday morning, 2,000 plus years ago, that our hope was revealed as the only living hope to a dying world. We have a glorious future ahead. Here's how Isaiah describes it. Isaiah 25, verse 8 and 9. Talking about the kingdom to come and the millennial kingdom. He says, He, that is Christ, will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces and He will remove the reproach of His people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. I love when the Bible says that. Here's what's going to happen. And let me tell you how I know. Because God said it. That's it. You ever notice in the Bible, God says sometimes, as the Lord lives, this will happen. Can God ever go out of existence? That's a pretty ironclad guarantee. Because the Lord has spoken, this will happen. And it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. What a glorious day it's going to be. We have been raised, and we will be raised. For those who know Jesus Christ, it will be a glorious day. If you do not know Jesus Christ, that day is coming. It's not a myth. It's not, we're not just telling stories. This is real deal. This is life. And so we plead with you, believe, you must believe or you will perish. Jude says it this way, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy, the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority, before all time, now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, once again we bow before you because you're the only one worthy of our praise. The only one worthy to be bowed to. The gods of this world, the gods of the making of men are worthless. They do not have mouths, they do not have ears, they cannot hear, they cannot speak. They are the product of the foolishness of men. And yet you came and you revealed your glory, you showed us who you were, you opened our eyes to see, you granted us faith to believe, and those who are here today as believers are an instrument and a testimony of your grace. And so we proclaim you. We proclaim you crucified, buried, but alive. We proclaim you, the only righteous one, and we, sinners who deserve no mercy at all, and yet by your grace, because of your love, out of your great compassion, you save. And so, Lord, we plead. We plead with you on behalf of those who are not saved, those who do not know you, those who have no hope. They're in the world without God, without hope, rejecting the salvation that you offer them in your Son. Lord, we plead with you to save them. We plead with them to, to beg for mercy at the throne of your grace. For you have promised that all who would come to you, you would not turn away. Lord, save them this day. May this be a really true resurrection day for them. That they might know life and know it abundantly. Only because of our Savior, Jesus Christ, do we say these things and pray these things and desire these things. So Thank you for it. Bless the rest of our day. May you be honored through it because of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.